Hello, friend, and welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are at your core. And that's why every single week, I bring a guest on with the intention of helping you upgrade your confidence in work and in love. I'm also so excited to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. This is the only CBD company I've come to fully trust with my wellness. And I'm so excited to share with you one of their brand new products, Harmony. That's H-A-R-M-O-N-I. Harmony is a doctor formulated blend to ease PMS symptoms. I was a part of the beta testing for this line and wow, it has been a game changer. So Harmony is a CBD product that actually offers that PMS relief. And if you're anything like me, PMS comes with cramps and cravings and kind of feeling like a bloated roly poly just rolling around. But since I started taking these little gummies each month, my symptoms have lessened and I feel more like myself no matter where I'm at in my cycle. This combination of CBD, dandelion root, B6, and magnesium make this little gummy so worth it. And their raspberry lemonade flavor seriously stops my sweet tooth from taking over. And we all know I have a sweet tooth. So the co-founder, Angie Lee, developed this product after struggling through her own journey with intense PMS. And I'm so excited to share them with you now. As you may know, our friends over at Soul CBD have given us a discount code for 15% off your order. Can't suggest it enough. Head on over to ashleystall.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash soul, S-O-U-L, to access our special page with them. And don't forget to use your code U-Turn at checkout. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Now let's get into this week's episode. U-Turn friends, everyone responded so positively to a recent love episode with Bella Gandhi. And so I thought I would bring her back on the show. So for those of you who didn't catch that most recent episode about dating in the new year, Bella is a dating and relationship expert. She's founder of the Smart Dating Academy, and she is the expert on so many media outlets. Good Morning America, Steve Harvey, Today's Show, the list goes on. She has a really strong sixth sense in love. Um, and she discovered that in college. She worked in mergers and acquisitions for a year before joining her family's chemical manufacturing company. Um, and then she divided her time between Chicago and Europe. So woman after my own heart. And uh, her company sold its business. And she's just had so many experiences, whether it's in business, in love, that excellence that she learned in business, she brings into love. And the Smart Dating Academy is described by clients as going to Harvard Business School, but for dating and relationships. So in the past 12 years, her business has been going. She's had zero divorces. And it's like being a personal trainer for your love life. So I'm really excited today because Valentine's Day season is here to talk to her about all sorts of my favorite things like narcissist and love bombing and red flags. Oh my. So without further ado, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on, Bella. I tried not to make a sound, but with you, it's impossible. You just crack me up. So yes, red flags, love bombing, narcissists, everybody's favorite cocktail party conversation. Right. I mean, honestly, and honestly, before I hit the record button, everyone, I was asking her about someone that I just started seeing. And so I'm just going to go straight in and ask. um, One thing that struck me last time we spoke was it's not that you had rules, but you kind of had some standards and some of them felt kind of like maybe rules. And obviously for me working in self-help, my big thing is saying like everybody write their own rules. And a lot of your suggestions feel very supportive. So um, from your mindset during this dating season, and those of you who are not dating, but rather you're in a relationship, I have a lot of questions that I'll be asking on your behalf as well. So stay tuned. Um, But for those who are dating, Um, We talked about pace last time, and I wanted to follow up with that. How fast is too fast? Um, When do you suggest to people who have been seeing each other? What what do you think is appropriate for them to get into a relationship? And I'm asking on my own behalf, obviously, as well. Right. Asking for a friend. 
Yeah, um, I'm asking for a friend named me. <laughs> for a friend named Ashley M. Stahl. <laughs> um, so I, I, there's so many things that came to my mind about all of this. There's so much to say, but I think with pacing, what I can tell you, I'm going to give you guys a thesis. And yeah. everything I'm going to tell you is going to come from the thesis. There is no substitute for time in the dating process. We want to listen to the podcast on 2X. We want to go through life on 3X. Fast forward, you're a super high voltage, alpha successful professional, and you just know what you want. And you want to get there quick. In dating, doesn't work out. Yeah, Starts fast, ends fast, mm. by and large, okay? And so everybody knows that one couple that had three dates, had sex, and now they live in the suburbs and they have three kids and they've been married for 20 years. That's great. That's one. For the 99 others, doesn't usually work out that way. So we want to pace it slowly. For some reason, culturally, I don't know who invented it, but there's something people talk about a three-date rule. Now, what the hell is a three-date rule? Is it three dates before you make out? Is it three dates before you have sex? Three dates before you become exclusive? For most people, in my experience, what they do before they come to us, and I don't care if they're in their 20s, 30s, 50s, or 70s, three dates means it's time to get serious. And what I'm here to tell you is let's put some logic around that for people. Three dates, even if they're three-hour dates, three times three is nine hours. People, it is not even a legitimate work day. Okay. A nine to five work day is eight hours. Slow things down. I want you to date someone. Are you ready, Ash? Yeah. A minimum of 15 good dates with no red flags before you commit to being exclusive. And that's usually over three months. Okay. I love this. And I know that this topic that we have today kind of circles back to this. It's like when you slow things down, and this is not just in dating, this is in life, right? And when you have options, not just in dating, but in life, you're able to see things more clearly. And part of the pacing is probably about being able to notice red flags like, um, and you know, we, this word gets you know thrown around very commonly, narcissism. So I would love for you to share or define what it looks like to a, just be narcissistic versus to have narcissism, like a diagnosis. And what are some of those signs in your opinion? Because I know that there, you know, there's a fine line between just kind of, and you know what, let's face it for me to have my own personal brand. There's like a healthy level of narcissism, I guess that <laughs> I probably have to have. So, What is your thought on love bombing and narcissism and how that plays a role in pacing things for people to pay attention in their lives and in their love lives to these unhealthy patterns? Well, so number one, I mean, it's huge that you even are doing the self-analysis to know that you do have a pattern, right? And I think we've all been there. Who hasn't dated somebody that has red flags all over them? And we got in fast and then it probably crashed and burned anytime from six weeks to four months to four years in, right? Who has, who has, I'm raising my hand. Have you done that, Ashley? I've done that. Yeah. Too fast and too furious. So I think, you know, there's so much to say around this topic. I always say, is someone a narcissist or are they just being a jerk or an asshole? Right. And at the end of the day, to your point, we're all, we can all be selfish. We can all be jerky. We can all behave sort of look at me narcissistically, right? You have a business. I have a business. We have to be out there promoting that, right? Does that make us narcissists? No, not really. In in the hallmark, if you're going to be considered or clinically diagnosed as a narcissist, therapists, from what I understand, they have something called a DSM-5 manual where they look at nine different aspects and you have to be diagnosed with five of those over a variety of contexts to be diagnosed with NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. Now, the numbers that I've seen range that 1% of the population has NPD diagnosed, or it could be 10%. Who knows? But at the end of the day, what you know is when somebody is treating you badly. And if somebody's being jerky or an asshole, or if they're a full-blown narcissist, that's something that you want to sort of take a step back from and say, am I settling right now? Am I settling for behavior that isn't good for me? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, love bombing to me is so fascinating. And what's even more fascinating, I remember I was in a business mastermind and I've been love bombed before and I wasn't with the guy for very long, but 
um, I met a lot of women in a mastermind, very smart, successful women who were in marriages that they ended and only to find out, you know, after they got married that their partner had some sort of personality disorder or, and now, and then obviously hindsight's 2020. So I think for people listening right now, I would love to kind of take a look at what are some of those red flags maybe early on, but even later on in your relationship that you weren't paying attention to because there's a lot of weird stuff out there, right? Like we could talk about addiction. There's all different forms of addiction, right? Like I don't have any chemical addictions, but I definitely have a little bit of a weird relationship with shopping, you know? So it's like, where is it a red flag? Where is it just being human? Um, So yeah, I would love to just look at some of the general red flags and also like, what does love bombing look like or mean early on, later on? I'm, I'm just curious about that too. Yeah, I think, you know, Love bombing is something that you mentioned a couple of times. And love bombing can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but it's really talking to you in an incredibly intoxicating way. It can be, you're so beautiful. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's been two dates. I want you to be my girlfriend. I want you to go to my Cabo house. I want you to meet my kids. It could be. And a lot of it is you're so amazing and talking about the future. I can't wait till you meet my parents when they come here for spring break. Right. And it's like, you've met me for two hours, but inside of us, right. There's always, we're, all insecure at the end of the day, especially when we feel this attraction to somebody. And when they're giving us all of these words that make us suddenly feel like, oh my God, you like me. You think I'm good enough. You see a future with me. It's incredibly intoxicating and alluring. And so the question is, is it love bombing or Is it sincere? And getting back to what I said earlier, the only way to kick the tires on that is time. Watching this relationship develop. Typically, if somebody is narcissistic or emotionally avoidant, the longest that there will be no red flags is four months. Wow. Okay. Can you elaborate on that? That's fascinating. It is fascinating. I remember, you know, just personal disclosure, having been love bombed in my second serious relationship and I was in college. And this person told me all of the things that I wanted to believe about myself, but I was insecure, showered me with gifts, not lavish gifts, but like these, I'm listening to, oh my God, you love Renoir and the French Impressionist. Tomorrow at your dorm, I'm going to drop off this amazing box of note cards of the French Impressionist. Who does that when you're in school in the middle of the farms? Where do you find that 20 years ago? Crazy stuff where you're like, oh my God, this is real. But it was, it was a harbinger of things to come. Things were amazing for four months. And then at four months in a day where you could have been the coolest girlfriend ever and amazing and beautiful at four months, at four months in one day, suddenly I was annoying. Mm. I was clingy. I was, and I was like, wait, yesterday we were good. What what do you mean? You don't want to hang out. You, you, we had plans. Why do you always have to be with me? Mm -hmm. Wait, what the hell just happened? And this This kernel played in my mind for years until I started this business and I started to look at hormonal attachments Mm -hmm. and what happens when we're speeding up the love process that all of those crazy making hormones, elevated estrogen, testosterone, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, the levels of that can start to fall as soon as four months in, Mm -hmm. especially with someone who cannot form a secure attachment with somebody. Suddenly all they've got, they put it forward and because they can't attach to you because of their own childhood traumas or whatever, suddenly they're like, the hormones are decreasing. I must not be in love with you because they can't form that intimacy. So there's so much to this, right? If that relationship could have continued really well and he could securely attach, who knows where we would be today? 
But I quickly saw the signs of that. And now we teach our clients, like you've got to pace this really, really slowly. And most likely you aren't going to even get to the four month mark when they're working with us because we are watching for those red flags. And for those of you, I can tell you, I've been doing this for 12 years professionally, way longer as a hobby. What I can tell you is with the over 1,500 clients I've had one-on-one through my practice in 12 years, when I asked this one question about their most recent breakup, when did you first see the red flags? Every single one of them says, I saw them right away. Mm. I saw them up front. Nobody's getting blindsided, you guys. And I hope that when you're listening to this, you're like, yeah, think about all of your relationships and the red flags that you've had. Did it really take you two years to see those red flags? No, it didn't. You just ignored the signs. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our friends over at Athletic Greens. And what I love the most about them is that their products are not only carbon neutral, but they taste amazing. I started taking Athletic Greens because I really wanted to get all the nutrients and vitamins possible in one swoop. And I just couldn't bring myself to drink all those green vegetable smoothies that taste like the grass. So I wanted something that actually tastes good and was perfect for me. And I've been on Athletic Greens for a few weeks now, and I am just loving it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. You know, it has kind of a mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to every morning. And with one scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. So this really special blend of ingredients is so supportive for your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, anti-aging, all the things. Right now, it is so time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially as we're in flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. I even throw mine in my smoothie. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash U-turn. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And they're giving one year of vitamin D that is so insane with your first order. I'm so excited for you to check it out. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I love that quote. It always ends how it starts, you know, Um, and, and this feels like it really validates that. But what's feeling unclear for me, which I'm sure you have a lot of answers on, is what really constitutes a red flag. Like for example, we were just talking about love bombing and it's like, I was just telling you, started seeing someone new again out here in New York and he left me flowers after spending the weekend together. So at what point is it like this person's coming on too strong versus this person really sees me and he really knows how to show up. Um, And what are some of the more common early red flags that you tend to see, um, you know, like we live in a world right now where there's a lot of mental health challenges. Is it a red flag for somebody to be needing like, you know, for example, I take anti-anxiety medication, um, which I'm probably on my way off of, but still, um, is that something that a guy could say, Oh, that's a red flag. She needs medication or you know, what would you consider those things to be? Look, if somebody to your point, If somebody wants to move way faster than you do and doesn't take the slowdown for an answer, that's a red flag. Anybody who doesn't respect your wishes, let's say you're dating someone who lives out of town and you say, you know what, I'd really prefer if you got a hotel until we're exclusively dating for example. And if that person responds and there's two responses, it can be totally, I completely get that. You drive the bus on this one. Great response. Love that. If it's, what do you think I am? Some sort of an assaulter or rapist? Do you think I'm going to like attack you? Like, what is this? Like, why wouldn't you just let me crash on your couch? Like, I don't understand this. That is a red flag. 
Mm -hmm. right? Someone who's not willing to respect your wishes, someone who demeans you immediately, someone who wants to move too fast when you don't. And let's go back and let's wind in narcissists. One of the biggest hallmarks of narcissists and one of the biggest red flags of a true narcissist is someone who lacks empathy. Someone who cannot put themselves in your shoes or anybody else's shoes, right? That is one of ask any therapist, how do you define a narcissist? Someone who can't empathize. They lack empathy. I read a book called The Sociopath Next Door, and it said one out of 25 Americans are a sociopath. And I mean, obviously, I grew up watching horror movies thinking that a sociopath is a serial killer. Not true at all. It's just someone who can't feel their feelings. Um, what do you think is the root of that? Why is that the case that there are so many people who have these, I know there's a lot of attachment trauma and we could get into that. I'm, I'm just curious for your take on why does this happen so that people can get a better understanding? Cause I think it's really sad. And um, I have a lot of compassion when I think about, I wish no one to be, you know, having narcissists bestowed upon them as they're listening to this. Yeah. And I have a lot of compassion for how messy a lot of narcissist upbringing was that made them that way. So I'm curious just to look at that and then explore some more red flags with you. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, and we may or may, you may or may not want to hear this, any of us, right? But to some extent, who are we from a nature and nurture standpoint? We're our parents, right? They made us, they raised us. Now, I'm not saying we have to become them, but to your point about are narcissists made or are they born, right? And I think that's kind of what you're getting at. And the answer is there's no real clear answer around that. But if one or both of your parents are narcissistic, right? They made a child. Now, if the child is raised by narcissists, Typically, they're going to hear you suck. You're an idiot your entire life. You're not good enough, right? Because from a narcissistic parent's perspective, you're never going to be good enough, right? Because you're supposed to make them look good. And unless you're abiding by a certain prescription of behaviors, the way you look, the way you behave, you're never going to be good enough. So, so often, narcissism is ultimately born of very low self esteem. What do narcissists want? They want to be seen as special people. They only want to associate with special VIP people. They have delusions of grandeur about themselves. There's a lot of self-aggrandizement that goes along with it. It's my way or the highway. And what does all of that mean? That person truly doesn't like themselves. Forget about self-love. It's like, I sort of hate myself and I need you to love me. And I need you to see me as Superman. And I need everybody around me to see me as Superman. And I need to get into that bar. And I'm not going to wait in line because don't you know who I am? It's all about mitigating that super low self-esteem, right? It's probably, it's I, mental illness. I'm sad. Yeah. And I want to almost kind of run through um, some different potential red flags and just get your take on them. Because I think that some flags can appear to be red when really they're just yellow, like ask more questions kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to talk about is just addiction in general. Um, it's okay for anyone to be wherever they are in their journey. Right. And addiction can be really messy um, on the other side for a partner who's supporting someone or loving someone who has an addiction. And yeah. if the person with the addiction isn't taking responsibility for it, isn't ready to face it, um, it can be really, really painful. So um curious, you know, what your take is on, you know, let's say you're dating someone who stopped um, an addiction is there a period of time where it, you know it would be important to consider saying, "Hey, they might still be in the throes of this"? Um, yeah, anything you have to say about alcoholism, drug addiction would be interesting. Yeah, first of all, if that's anything that you have gone through, kudos to you for walking through that dark, swampy, you know, path of addiction. It's so hard, and you know, I certainly have worked with many people that have come through that people that are going through it both personally and professionally. And I think that the easy, that there's no good answer to that, right? And addiction is addiction at the end of the day. And it becomes part of all of our stories, whether it's you that had the addiction or you that's living with somebody's addiction, right? Because it's just part of that person. From our standpoint, when I'm talking about 
you know, is someone a good bet for you that is in recovery? It's so case specific, right? It depends on where that person is in their recovery process. I have people that have gone through, you know, that have been, you know, knockout, drag out alcoholics have been through AA and now have been 15 years sober and have sponsored a hundred different sponsorees or whatever you call them that, you know, and they help people through that. And they're very, very well recovered and kind of have their feet on the ground. And those can be good bets for you. But if somebody's kind of still struggling with that, the question is, what role are you going to play in that person's life? And that's really a question for each individual relationship. So it's hard to judge. It's just if that person is in active recovery, the best thing maybe for that person is to really focus on their recovery. And sometimes we can transfer one addiction to another, right? right? So you can go from being an alcoholic to, oh my God, to being an addicted dater, to being someone who needs to be in love to fill that void ultimately. So it can be, it can be a bit of a slip slope. So you want to evaluate that carefully. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. My sister was an addict, but she was very much so an obvious addict. So it's, there's a lot of high functioning addiction in today's world. And so sometimes it can be really tough to spot. Um, and I remember the expression that people, their age might freeze at the age of addiction if they've been addicted long enough. And I started to see this with my own sister because, and it makes sense. Like at the age she started using, she stopped processing her day. And every single day when her day would bubble up, when the stress would bubble up, she would turn to the thing that she was addicted to, to be with herself. So she didn't have to be with her day. And so it's almost like for decades, she stopped processing her life and her issues and her things and turning to the substance. So in, in a lot of ways, she was very much frozen. Um, and so I think that that's probably something people will deal with is someone who maybe hasn't grown in certain areas that are really important for you to be met on. Um, and another thought around addiction is, is kind of what I've learned is it's, there's the addiction, the behavior, and then there's the motor behind it. So you can stop the behavior, but what was it that was making you use that thing or turn to that thing. That's right. And, and it's making sense to me what you're sharing around addiction transferring. Cause it's like, if you have this motor running inside of you that needs something that doesn't want to process stress, that feels uncomfortable about something, it's going to turn to something else to, to avoid itself or to avoid the emotion. So that makes sense. Um, another red flag that I think a lot of people navigate is, is violence or anger. Um, you know, everyone has right. their thing, right? Like I'm, I don't really get angry or yell. I tend to get anxious and kind of panic. So that's my go-to, you know, but people, same, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So people who get angry, like, where do you kind of draw the line where you should be scared? You should be aware of it. It's a red flag versus like, this is just an emotional person. Um, you know, recently the other day I was talking to a dear friend, Alyssa Nobriga, and we were talking about how anger can be pretty powerful. Like that feeling can move things around inside of you. It can get you to take action and that doesn't have to be a red flag. So where do you draw that line with someone who's angry or frustrated or violent? I don't know. Just curious. You know, and this is my personal opinion. I think drawing hard lines around that will keep you safe, right? You want someone who's going to take the knot out of your stomach where you're going to have an easy relationship with, right? And when we have anxious attachments or avoidant attachments, someone that is rageful, angry can be seen as exciting because that's what we're activated. We want to feel some sort of excitement because that's what we know from how we grew up. And so I don't like, I think rage is very destructive. Right. I think anger, like what you're saying, the kind of anger that can move you, it's where you're like, I've had enough. It's like hitting rock bottom where you take that anger that's directed inwards and it gets you to get unstuck, it gets you to move in productive directions. Now, that's different than anger because you didn't put this pen exactly where I wanted you to. So now I'm going to throw a lamp at you. Yeah. Holy shit. That's that's holy shit stuff, right? Yeah. And everybody knows someone like that. Everybody knows someone who's been in a relationship like that. I know many, many people that have come out of that. They're like, well, I just learned how to dock. It's like, that's no okay. That's not okay. 
Yeah. That kind of rage. And this is where I will tell you, if you feel like, well, you know, you're the ducker, like I could just duck, or you've been in a relationship like that where somebody's hurling the microwave across the room for you, what feels like anger is going to be very different than me. Right. And you have to really realize, do I need some help around this? Because sometimes healthy becomes relative. And that's where we get into a very slippery slope in dating. Right. I have an absolute viewpoint for my clients of what for a woman looking for a man, I would say high GHQ, high and good husband qualities. What does that mean for you, Ashley, or for you or for you? And we have that sort of prescription for what that looks like. And it doesn't allow for rage and anger and awful words to each other and ghosting. And it has rules of engagement. How do we fight? It's okay to have conflict. Any real authentic relationship will have conflict. How do you manage the conflict? Mm -hmm. Right. With a narcissist, you can't manage a narcissist. It's always your fault. It's never. Well, you made me do it. You made me throw the microwave across the room. If you wouldn't have put the pen, you would have just put the pen where it belonged. I wouldn't have gotten so angry. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about narcissism once on the show. And I remember saying to me, the experience of being with a narcissist is like you're wearing a red sweatshirt and they convince you that it's blue. And then you start questioning if it's red, but you know, it's red. It's like this, it's like gaslighting. Like you just get confused. Um, One question back on pace. And then I want to keep going with red flags. Um, What about communication? So some people right now they're dating in the new year and you know, you're, you're suggesting a few months of getting to know each other 15 dates before there's like a level of exclusivity pacing it. What about chatting? Because we live in a world of texting and TikToking and Twittering and all of the things. Um, how much should people be in communication? And I guess there is no should, but what would you suggest? Um, how much is too much in the early phases? I've seen hundreds of good potential relationships go sideways because of too much texting. Mm. Why is that? In human conversation, the majority of how we interpret each other are through cues that are different, that are other than our words. Eye contact, tone of voice. Is it yes or is it yes? Yeah. Right. And we misinterpret so much. 93% of the way we interpret people is non verbally, 7% of the words that we use. So when you're texting, what happens? You lose the 93% and you only have those words. And you, and so over texting will result in some sort of a misinterpretation or hurt feelings or a misunderstanding at some point. So I like boundaries around it. Don't just say, you know what, during the day, it's hard for me to text. If someone's blowing up your phone all the time, you know that over texting can derail a good relationship. Don't over text. Just say, hey, you know what? During the day, my phone's off. I'm really busy. I can't text during the day. How about we chat tonight? Yeah. So you can chat live versus texting. Texting, ultimately, you're not looking for a damn pen pal. You're yeah. looking for a relationship. So right. stop texting each other. Or start talking, have phone conversations, FaceTime, do Zooms, get to know each other at a granular level. Okay. So I don't know if it's that I've watched way too much 90 Day Fiance, but I'm seeing like cross country couples and stuff like that. And I think in today's world with so many different digital apps, people are long distance or with COVID, they're getting to know each other over FaceTime before they meet in real life. How, how do you weigh that connection virtually versus in person, because my experience is there's a huge difference between the two. Um, Yeah. Just any wisdom around that for people who are dating right now, getting to know people on FaceTime, trying to gauge, you know, where their relationship is at. Let's say that they, like for me, I I've seen someone and FaceTime them for a month because I was traveling and then I'll see them in real life. It's like, how much stock can I give that? Or what's your mindset about that? I would love to know. Well, let me ask you a question. That's yeah. really interesting. When you FaceTimed with this person, what did you see? What were the differentials in person? Um, I didn't, there was one guy that I talked to for a couple months and I just didn't like his energy in real life. There was something about, he kind of had like man child energy, but the, I only saw that after spending a lot of time with him. So being on FaceTime, like that hour that we would chat or he would call, like, I just didn't see that stuff that was very apparent in the way he was interacting with people in his day-to-day life. Yeah. Um, 
so that's one situation. And then when I finally met him, cause he was in a different country, I was like, Oh, I don't, I'm not into you. Another one, um, I've talked to him and he was lovely. And then I met him in real life and he exceeded my expectations and I liked him. So, and, and, you know, he travels and I travel. So I don't know. It's almost like if we're talking virtually all the time, is that enough to say we're building a relationship or do you gauge it by how often you're in person? I just think this is so real right now for so many people dating virtually. Yeah. I've had clients through like the heart of COVID in 2020 fall in love over virtual connections. And then when they met for the first time, three months later, it was like, it was like wartime love. They would write letters to each other on a nightly basis. And then they would FaceTime twice a week. And they got to know like, would it bother you if the last meal I ate during the day was at 3 PM? Like they knew each other at those really micro levels. So by the time they met, it was like, Amazing because the emotional intimacy was so strong that the physical, it's like typically the stronger your emotional connection, the better the likelihood of a strong physical connection. Right. So, to your question about FaceTiming, could like, is it different than meeting in real life? I think it is going to be different based on what you're FaceTiming about. Mm. Are we actually building a connection or are we talking about superficialities of our day mm-hmm. or have these conversations been meaningful mm-hmm. with intention, right? Like Ashley, if I'm a guy, what do you want out of your life? Like, are you looking for something that leads to marriage and kids? Where do you want to live? What's important to you? So often we softball those things and we hide them because we're afraid of what a person's going to think if we really say what we want and what we're really looking for. Hey, U-Turners. I want to take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered. With the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day, I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now. And after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail. And it works with any other email provider really that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to any more. The Sane Later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days, I check my Sane Later folder, skim through it, and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to SaneBox. So for the first couple of weeks, I monitored my SaneBox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox. And now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be waking their way in my inbox. So head on over to www.sanebox.com slash U-turn. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership now. It's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, so that brings me to another question, you know, speaking of red flags is like, I'm yeah, people softball that because it can feel like you're coming in hot when, you know, you just sat down with someone or like, when is a good time in dating process? Um, or even let's say people are in a relationship. It always is the truth that people haven't asked big questions in relationships. Sometimes you've been with somebody for two years and you don't know an answer that you really need to know. Um, what would be a pace early on that you think is appropriate? Like, let's say that somebody lives here and somebody lives there to, you know, like I've, I've had that situation plenty of times to say, Hey, what are we going to do about that? If this is working out 
Or, you know, do you want kids or, you know, questions about money, like those hotter topics? How soon can you come in with that? You can come in. It depends on what the topic is. I think the first topic, you know, the first few dates, you definitely want to say, is this person interesting? Are they interested in me? Like have fun and keep the dates lighter so that they don't feel like a deposition. Mm -hmm. So dating is a tightrope walk, right? Because you want to use the small talk to get to the big talk. Mm And so for the first three, four dates, keep it fun, keep it interesting. But then after that, you don't want to waste a lot of time with someone. It's like, hey, I just want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. And I am ultimately dating with intention to meet someone that will be my partner within three months exclusively. And then I ultimately like to be married in one or two years and have kids. That's fine to say, because if you get the deer in headlights look at date four, wouldn't you rather have that than have invested 12 months in that Mm -hmm. to hear, oh my God, I'm not going to be ready to get married until I'm 45. Like, that's just what, that's my life plan. Got it. And then you're like, WTF. Why didn't you tell me this sooner? It's like, why didn't you ask sooner? You have the steering wheel of your dating life. Mm -hmm. Okay. So speaking of the steering wheel and these big questions, I know another red flag could just be mismatched goals. Um, You know, maybe you want kids. The other person doesn't. Maybe you're a full yes. The other person's a maybe. Then there's religion, um, where you live, finances. There's always tends to be a spender and a saver. Um, what's your take on just some key questions people should be asking their partner right now or when they're dating, especially in the early phases, let's say the first, second, third, fourth date, what are some important questions that you recommend people ask to be really astute about what they're looking for and their time? So I think in in the first few dates, it's going to be hard to ask someone, do you have debt, right? What's your net? Like, are you a spender or a saver? If you watch people, over a series of four to five dates, you get a pretty good idea. Is this person super frugal or are they a spendthrift? And are they like, I don't really care if those shoes are $1,500. And if they'd go on sale in two weeks, like I want them today, I'm going to buy them today, right? You get a really good sense of who's who if you're looking for those clues. I think if you listen carefully to people and what they're saying, there's a lot of clues that people drop about who they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so for first and foremost, find out that this person wants a relationship, right? Then the question is over the next three, six months, do they want a relationship with you? Do you want a relationship with them? Are you aligned on where you want to live? What your religion is? How many kids you want? How you spend money or save money, right? And for some people, it's like, well, I suck at budgeting, but he's really good at it. So we're a good team because I want his help in budgeting. Now, if it's like I spend a lot and he doesn't and he doesn't like that, then you'll see friction sooner than later Mm -hmm. if there isn't a meeting in the middle. What about if there's incongruence? Like, um, I'm trying to think like sometimes, like, for example, we talked about pace. Somebody will say, let's take it slow, but they're moving really fast. Um, like how do you notice those things? Because for me, having worked in counterterrorism, that's like a key ingredient to finding issues is incongruence. Like, and I think, you know, reading women who run with wolves, she talks about leaving no stone unturned. So like if the feminine get intuitive can see when there's a shadow behind a rock. And I think the empowered feminine force is somebody who turns the rock over and asks the scary question. Yeah. Um, so how do we kind of deal with that mismatch where, or, or someone says that they're very successful, but there's something not adding up about it. Like, do you have anything to say about that? I don't even know if I have a question. I'm just asking about it. I mean, typically where there's smoke, there's fire. Right. Right. One of my favorite quotes. And if your gut feels like something is off, it probably is. Ask the questions, do the due diligence, Mm -hmm. right? Don't leave no stone unturned. What are you waiting for? Right. It's like, wait, you said you worked at XYZ on Wall Street or blah, blah, blah. And yet you're like not working. Like, tell me about that. Like where, 
did I like, is there something I'm not seeing? Yeah. Whatever it is. Right. Questions. It's like, you know, the story I'm telling myself is that there might be another story. Is there? Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and give that person, I love the story I'm telling myself. It's like my favorite way to begin something that could seem awkward or could be me misinterpreting something. The story I'm telling myself, Ashley, is that you're upset with me about blah, blah, blah. Am I interpreting this right? Mm-hmm. Because you might be like, no, not at all. I've just been on, you know, I've been intense about work. I'm not mad at you at all. I'm so sorry for that. You, I made you feel that way. Boom. You let it go versus me stewing about, oh my God, she's mad at me. Mm-hmm. Oh, it must've been when I said this. That's the story I'm telling myself. So you can always say the story I'm telling myself is. Got it. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. And I know another red flag is around like jealousy or not trusting someone. Oh my gosh. I was watching 90 Day Fiance (laughs) the other way around. My brother got me into it. And this woman was just crazy jealous. And it was like wanting to look at his phone, wanting to read his messages. I mean, what is your thought on signs of jealousy or how it, how much of it is a red flag? How much of it is a healthy sense of possessiveness? Like you're my woman versus like, I'm crazy. You know, like what's your take on that line? Look, as humans, we're all possessive about our partners, Mm -hmm. right? I've been married for a long time. Of course, I'm going to be possessive about my husband. Now, do I find it necessary to check his phone every day or vice versa? No, But we have each other's passcodes, right? We have nothing to hide. If someone is behaving in an ultra jealous way, it's either the person they're with is ultra guilty of something or the person who's jealous may have a lot of trauma from prior relationship wounds. So there's certainly work to do if you feel highly, highly jealous for no reason. Is the, is your gut telling you that there's a shadow behind the stone, that there's something doesn't add up? Is there an incongruence? And you, dear listener, if you're feeling jealous, ask yourself, what's the seed of this? Mm-hmm. Is it what he said? Is it what she did? Is it what, you know, she's always disappearing? Like she just goes dark for three days and then comes back. Like what is making me feel crazy or jealous? Right. Okay. And then speaking of jealousy, like cheating, infidelity. um, I have a weird question about that, that I don't know why this came up, but you know, A, I would love your take on how do you navigate that flag of like someone has cheated and you're looking for a monogamous thing. Um, and also what about people who have been cheated on? Obviously everyone has gotten dealt like a rough deck of cards in different times of their lives. Is there anything to examine in that? I'm guessing no, but, um, I don't know. We always co-create our reality. It's not to say that somebody co-creates being cheated on, but I would just love to understand if you have any thoughts on that side of it too. I, if somebody tells you early on in dating that they have cheated on people that they've dated in the past, I think it's a red flag, you know, because to some extent they might be kicking the tires to see how you react to that. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I told you up front, I've cheated on my exes. Why is this a surprise to you? Right. So, but sometimes as givers and as ultra empaths, we're like, oh man, you cheated, but you've done your work. Okay. That's fine. And then we go into ignoring the red flags. I think it depends on the context of what that person says about the cheating. If they were the perpetrator of it, Mm -hmm. you know, I ended up cheating in this relationship and I, you know, I'm just giving you an example If someone says, and I realize, you know, my dad chronically cheated on my mom. And while I detested that, I found myself becoming that person, but I've done three years of intensive therapy and I realize why. And now I've walked through that. That's a very different story than the person that just says, yeah, you know, I cheated on my two exes. I'm not proud of it. Period. (laughs) Right. There's no, like, that's the kind of like what we were talking about with addiction. There's the behavior, which you can stop. Mm -hmm. But then there's the motor of like, why did you do that behavior? And if you don't work on that, it's almost Mm -hmm. like, you know, my sister being a dry drunk, she stopped drinking, but she didn't process everything that made her drink. So it was like, she still had all these, this motor running inside of her. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. Another question I have kind of in this neighborhood is around sex. Like, I think there's different sexual palettes and appetites. We live in a really interesting world right now where it's, it's really exciting how like liberated people are sexually 
And there's incompatibility there. And I'm sure that that can be a reason that a relationship ends. Let's say that somebody is more experimental or they have a certain sexual palate or appetite that the other person doesn't. Um, Like in my case, for example, um, if I'm on a date with somebody who says that they want to have like orgies or threesomes, that's fine. I'm like, do you? But it feels threatening to me because I'm not interested in that kind of a thing. Um, What's your take on kind of like gauging that side of things? Because I know a couple can be having sex or sexually exclusive or whatever the situation is. Um, But what kind of questions or thoughts do you have around red flags and sex um, that are not relating to cheating, but just preferences? You know, I think that it's something that you will discover over time again. You know, if somebody's putting out there, you know, right in the beginning, like I'm into orgies and threesomes, that tells you what their priorities are. And if that's not for you, say bye, right? Because if someone's putting it out there right away and immediately, okay, right, that's not your person. But as you get to know each other, and what I've seen is when you're in a healthy, secure relationship with another person and you've developed it slowly over time, those kinds of things can be negotiated. So let's say you're more conservative and you're with someone who's more experimental. But if you have a deep trust in this person over three months, maybe that trust will allow you to open up to experimentation in different ways. So much of this, especially for women, comes down to emotional intimacy and trust. And that fuels that physical fire. So the right person can make you do things that you wouldn't have felt comfortable with because you're very comfortable with this person. Mm, Okay. Love that. And I also, you know, I don't, and tell me if I'm missing some key red flags here. I was thinking about being controlling like that's a very common thing. Yeah. And that can be kind of sneaky, right? Um, so what are some ways that you think people will demonstrate that they might be a, a bit controlling or what questions can you ask to gauge that? Um, any feedback on that as a red flag would be cool. I think if you look for the clues, they're always there. People breadcrumb their controllingness, right? And that can even come out to how they feel about the waiter or waitress at the restaurant, right? How they deal with someone who isn't doing exactly what they want. If they say to you, oh my God, Ashley, I love that photo of you on Bumble where you had that yellow dress. I was so hoping you would wear that, right? Mm -hmm. That's weird and controlling ultimately, right? And so so you can start to see the signs if you're looking for it. I, you know, we're in the inboxes with our clients every day. I'm reading messages. I was like red flag controller out the door, right? So you can see these red flags if you know what to look for and you're open to the possibilities of looking for the red flags. Because so often we see one and we want that one to be the perfect guy. So we ignore so many of the red flags. Mm. Okay. I'm like, ah, no, that's definitely a yellow flag. And usually where there's one, there's going to be red flags right behind it. And I, you know, it's hard to know because one thing I wonder is like everybody has flaws um, or what we could argue is maybe a red flag. So it's interesting to me when you were saying that there's no red flags for three months. I'm like, isn't there always something like people have something like I've never experienced? I guess maybe that's why I'm not married. I've never been like, there's no red flags. This person has everything I want. Um, So could you kind of clarify that? And then also have some more questions about a few more red flags that I was thinking about. I think red flags, Ashley, are really different than having conflict in relationships. And I think you're talking about two different things to some extent. I don't think every person has red flags, right? Or we can all behave in a way that maybe we're not proud of at a certain point, but that doesn't mean that we are red flaggy people, right? So if someone says, if you've been on, you know, 20 dates with someone and suddenly he gets a little short because his day was really bad, it's like, oh my God, are we going to talk about this again? But then if he can come back and say, you know what, I'm really sorry, that was abrupt and I shouldn't have said that in that way, right? Then that is being human, but taking accountability for your actions and owning it. The red flag around that would be like, oh my God, you're so annoying. Why do we have to do this all the time? Gets up and storms off. That is not normal, right? That is a red flag. 
And speaking of that, like that answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. And here's one that's really sneaky, um, lack of initiative. So, um, we're again, kind of in a world with a lot of mental health stuff and there are people who are at their own pace with taking initiative to take care of themselves in any way, whatever it is that they're trying to take care of. At what point does someone look at that and say, this person doesn't take initiative for their growth, for their well-being, and that's a red flag? Um, because I'm actually seeing a lot of this with friends where their partners face, like they don't love, you know, they're struggling with their body image and they're not doing anything about it. And that's okay. Like that's their prerogative and it's affecting the relationship. The partner has said, Hey, you seem really down about this. You keep talking about it. Can you do something? And they don't. Um, what's your thought on just initiative and someone taking care of themselves as a red flag? Initiative is really hard, right? You can't put initiative into somebody. You can support them and say, I'm here for you. Let's do this together. But ultimately, you can't put fire in somebody's belly. Yeah. Yeah. And what if somebody like you threaten to leave and somebody starts, and that's very common, I'm sure, on with everybody listening right now. Maybe you've sat down a partner or someone you're dating and said, like, I'm thinking about going because of this, and that puts a fire in them. Um, then the next issue is how do you trust that that initiative is real? Um, so I would love your feedback on that because I think that's quite common where people deal with an issue and then somebody's had their maximum and then somebody activates. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and then my question is, do you want to be with somebody who it takes that much for them to activate? Yeah. I think to that point, change comes from the inside, not the outside. So if you're finding yourself having to threaten somebody, you know, I don't like that you're smoking so much weed. I don't like that you're not looking for a job and it's been two and a half years and you say you want a job and you're playing PlayStation all day or whatever that is. That change from that person has to come from the inside. Right. And that change isn't something that, I mean, sometimes it'll come externally because they don't want to lose you. And maybe that can spark the fire in their belly. But more often than not, that sparks 30 days of good behavior behavior and then regression to the mean, which is the original behavior again. So again, you'll only know that over time. I want to ask you about the red flags of, do you think it's a red flag when somebody doesn't have that many friends? Um, do you think it's a red flag when somebody you know, also talks about their ex like they're crazy? I think everybody probably has had one ex that is maybe a little bit crazy. I don't know. What's your take on all of that? Because um, for me you know, with dating, I've always seen it as a huge plus when I'm on a date with somebody who says like they have a lot of friends and they have a busy life and a full life. I'm the same. Um, and I get a little scared when somebody says like they're, they don't have friends and it's, I don't mean to be insulting. Maybe some people haven't found their tribe. So yeah. What's your take on those two things? Crazy exes and no friends. You know, I think sometimes when people can come out of a serious relationship and especially men, right, that are married to women, that they put everything into their wives and their wife becomes their best friend and their confidant and because men are just less vulnerable with other men. And I think that it's a very common phenomenon for women to continue to have a lot of friends because that's just kind of how we're biologically wired. We need a tribe of women and a guy, right? But men are very different. They put a lot into women. So I think it depends. I think it depends on the situation. I think it depends on the situation. I think a lot of men can say, I don't have a lot of friends. Like I had put everything into my last relationship. And I don't think that that's necessarily a red flag. I think that there's so many men that are like that. It's actually rarer to find a especially with previously married men, men that have a ton of friends. They might have one, they might have two. They might have family members they confide in. They'll usually have people in their lives. If you push them on, it's like, well, I may not have a ton of good friends, but I talk to my sister every single day. Okay, that counts, right? So you have to really, I I think it, I think obviously the easy answer is yes, I've got a lot of friends. I've got a thriving life. That's an amazing, easy thing. It's like, okay, check. You can have healthy, good relationships with people in your life. If it's not so much, so do a little digging and get a little curious and then trust your gut. Mm-hmm. Okay. And back to the crazy exes, what's your thought on that? Like, cause one of my favorite things to ask when I'm dating or in a relationship with someone is like, really exploring what happened. And I know talking about exes can be kind of a fine line, but I think there's so much rich value in understanding what happened, what went wrong. What happened. Yeah. Um, So yeah, Yeah. what's your take on that? If someone says all their exes were crazy, 
I think that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. It's a red flag for two ways. Number one, what the hell did you do to make them all crazy? Yes. Yeah. The first thing I would say. And then number two, you're not going to like me because I'm not crazy. Right. So you're not going to feel that chemistry because most likely your attachment system wants to be activated by some nonsense and drama. And I'm not that person. So I think that everyone's had a relationship that feels toxic or crazy to them. But if there's a whole string of them littering this person's past, you know, I think, you know, and again, what do narcissists do? Let's circle back to that. They play the victim. It's never, it's never my fault as a narcissist. It's your fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. People ask me like, Bella, what would happen if a narcissist came to you? I'm like, a narcissist would never, ever come to a service like mine. A narcissist would go to a matchmaker. Like, oh, I can't find any quality people on the apps or in real life. I need you to dole up some incredibly exquisite people for me. Mm -hmm. But for my kind of service, where we're personal trainers for your love lives, we hold up the mirrors. We're helping you to evaluate partners for you and taking a look at the patterns that you might have had. Narcissists don't come to me. Mm, interesting. Okay. And then a couple other red flags. And then if I haven't spoken of one, I would love to hear it. Um, they don't give you all of their time or, or they do give you all of their time, either one. So one side is like, People never have time for you. Um, And you're like, it's an attraction of starvation where you're, you're never really satisfied. Um, Or the other side is that they give you all their time. I'm just curious about those two red flags. Like what are some things for people to think about as it relates to those? I think if somebody's not giving you the amount of time that you want, then it's a conversation. And if that person doesn't realize that they're not giving you the time that you want and you crave, then I think you have to say to yourself, this isn't the person I want, right? If they're telling me you're my Thursday, Saturday girl, and that's it, is that who you want to be? right? No. And now if somebody's willing to give you all of their time, that doesn't have to necessarily be a red flag. What's a red flag is they demand you to spend all of your time with them. That's where, and you don't want to, if there's a misalignment, that's what needs to be adjusted. And if the adjustment can't happen and it's full of conflict, then you're talking red flags. Okay. And, and then the final one is that I'm thinking about is around emotional depth. Um, my last thing that I had that you're well aware of over a few months in New York ended. And part of it was that he just couldn't for on my side, he just couldn't share his deeper feelings. It felt impossible for me to get those out. We had so much fun. We laughed so much chemistry, but it was like when push came to shove, it's like, how do you really feel? And they were emotionally cut off. And I think a lot of people are cut off emotionally for different reasons. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm pretty emotionally available in some way. Tuned in. Yeah. So what's your take on that? And, and how do you notice that? How do you pay attention to that? Because sometimes somebody could probably just think, oh, like we're not there yet to be talking to each other like that, or to be having those deeper conversations. I think if someone can't talk about their feelings at when you are at a level when they should be able to talk about their feelings, that is a bit of a red flag. Like, why can't they do that? Are they avoiding pain and trauma? People that can't talk about their feelings, they have feelings. They just either don't know what the feelings are because they were never allowed to feel those feelings, or they're so traumatic that they don't want to open up those feelings, right? Both of those are question marks for the person who wants to be in a relationship with that person. With a lot of times, and I'm not saying all the time, and I'm not speaking in generalities, a lot of times people that can't talk about their feelings, there's other sidebar issues that come with them. It could be it could be a lot of drinking. It could be other numbing mechanisms, other addictions, because as human beings, we feel, we feel deeply. And when we don't want to, or we can't, those feelings have to go somewhere and, or we have to numb them. Okay. Okay. And what, are there any red flags, love bombing narcissist questions that I haven't asked you that you want to share with everyone before we wrap up and I can tell everybody where to find you? You know, I think one question that comes to mind is, you know, people are like, well, I'm aware of these red flags. Am I ready to date? I think the question for people is, 
being in the moment is very different than saying, I've got a list of red flags and I've curated stuff on the internet and I know what a narcissist is. So I'm never going to get sucked into that again. I think what's important for you to realize or to ask yourself is people tend to do the same thing over and over again, because humans are creatures of habit. We tend to do what feels comfortable versus what's right. So I think a question I would have you ask yourself is, if this sounds like me and I have a pattern of being with red flaggy, avoidant people, narcissistic people, toxic people, is that a pattern I can change by myself? And I think the answer to that is it's best that you help someone get and get, or it's best that you get help from someone and have some sort of intervention around it. Otherwise, two months or two years later, you might find yourself flat on your back again. It doesn't magically go away. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for this. Um, where can everyone find you? Um, who is a good fit for the Smart Dating Academy? I would just love to know all of this for everyone. So I started a podcast. It's called the Smart Dating Academy Podcast. So if you like this, feel free to go in and we go in depth on what is a narcissist versus an asshole and what is peak dating season and all of the things around dating after divorce. Um, I do free Instagram shows. I go live every other week. Follow me at Smart Dating Academy. You can watch scores of hours of me talking about dating, answering questions. And then if you're a good fit for the Smart Dating Academy, um, you know we do group live workshops. We're running one February 6th called Fix Your Picker, which is amazing. It's three hours, small group on Zoom. Um, Those are things to invest in. And then our one-on-one coaching practice is where you will transform your dating life, your online dating life, your picker. You basically have professional best friends that are going through your inbox with you going, no, 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 that is a red flag. Or eh, You're being trigger happy. This is not a red flag. I want you to go on a fourth date with this person. We have dating scorecards. We help you to come up with who the right partner is for you. Who is your elevator person? What are the red flags by phases of dating? And then you get dating scorecards to score your date and yourself. So it's a whole process that we do. So if this sounds like something you need, get the help. Help is out there. Do not suffer this alone for you, dear listener. There's no reason for you to feel like you're swimming. You've been tossed into the Atlantic Ocean without a life vest on. That's what people feel like they're doing in dating sometimes. Yeah, I believe it. Thank you again for coming on. You're such a joy to be with. Ditto. You are a joy and I love you and I love your audience and um, I look forward to more. Yeah. Thanks again. Love back at you. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. 
So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.